Okay, let's talk about candles for a minute. Do you know that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? It's insane. That's why I think it's really cool that Notes candles exist. They're working to eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel over and over again. It is super easy. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, so all you do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar and fill it up with the wax beads and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. The Santal and Atlas Cedar scent is like this woodsy calming smell. It's so nice. And they have oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rose water, and a total of 13 really great options to choose from. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Right now, notes is giving our friends 15% off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using the code that sounds fun. Just use that code that sounds fun when you're placing your order. That's that sounds fun at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. friends. Welcome to another very special episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host and super fan today, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you. We've got a great show in store. And just a reminder to be sure you guys go and fill out our podcast survey. Simply follow the link in the show notes, answer a couple of questions, and help us be sure that we're crafting the very best listening experience possible for you. As I said in the Epiphany episode, y'all's answers are truly answers to prayers for us as we're praying about what we do this year on the podcast and moving forward. Tomorrow, Friday, is the last day to fill out and enter to win that $250 gift card. So be sure you do that before the end of the day. On Friday the 14th. Thank you so, so much for that valuable input y'all are offering to us. Today on the show, I, <laughs> I can't believe this, you guys. I get to talk with New York Times bestselling author Francine Rivers. Yes, the Francine Rivers who wrote Redeeming Love, The Mark of the Lion series, including A Voice in the Wind, and many more books that I love. She is such a talented author, a real life legend in this space. I'm so honored to get to talk with her as Redeeming Love, the movie is releasing in just a few days. I think you're going to love getting to know her and to hear some of her behind the scenes thoughts about the movie and about her writing process. And uh, y'all, I just am, I want to sit in this one and listen forever. I'm so thankful. Here's my conversation with Francine Rivers. Okay, let's start. We're just going to jump right in. Redeeming Love, the movie. I mean, what do you think now that it's, I mean, it's coming out. People are starting to see it. What kind of response are you getting? Oh, I'm I'm excited. And I'm hearing from people all over that they're seeing the trailer on TV. They're hearing about it on the radio. They're reading different things about it. So we're all pretty excited. But, you know, we're we're also, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that I'll believe it when I'm sitting in the theater and I actually have a bag of popcorn yes. and hands, you know, with all the COVID regulations, you just never know from one day to the next. Right. Will you tell the story a little bit of getting this book into a screenplay? I've read the story. It's so interesting how this went to a screenplay and you had to get involved. Well, we've worked with other companies, had other options, and they just never worked out. And the, and the scripts that people would write, they just did not understand Michael. Wow. And when I started working with Mission Pictures and Cindy Bond, I thought, I think I'm just going to try to write the script. I got final draft, and I was, I love movies. Yeah. And reading how to write a script, and I, I just decided to do it myself to show them what I wanted, what I think had to be in the film. Yes. Not with the idea that they would buy my script because I'm not a script writer. Uh, and then they said, yeah, we like this one. And then I worked with DJ Caruso because, you know, you, I wrote it as a linear story the way it is in the book. Yeah. And if you're sitting in the theater to see that whole backstory about Angel when she's a child would be a little bit too much, I think, for a yeah, lot of people. Sure. And so he restructured and we work together to strengthen scenes. You also can't have God talking out of the sky. They People wouldn't understand that. Oh, sure. So we had to find ways to show what's happening without having the voice coming in. And the conversation, the spiritual battle, it's very evident in the book. Right. You can't do that on 
screen. So that was all a challenge. And DJ and I worked together on that. So Well, it turned out beautiful. Our team got to see it a couple of weeks ago. And everybody, I mean, all of us have read the book multiple times. I mean, it's just, as you know, for many of my friends listening, for me, Redeeming Love is almost like an Ebenezer Stone kind of book in so many of our lives. And the movie is so much like the book. <laughs> yeah. All the, well, the main thing was to get the major scenes in there that really explain God's love. You know, the way Michael is loving her, he's showing her how God loves all yeah. of us. Yeah. And that had to be in there. That had to be the central point of the whole thing. And that was the challenge, really. And DJ did an outstanding job filming. What do you think about we the people there. playing Michael and Angel? I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled. It was very difficult to find Michael. We had a lot of auditions and they could not play pure, the purity side of it. Wow. And then Tom Lewis, DJ actually discovered Tom Lewis. He's a British actor and he trained classical training and he read the book. So he has a way of showing the nuances of emotion in his face and he can play pure, Mm -hmm. which was so important. So I'm thrilled. I, I hope it makes him a huge star yes. because he's a just a gifted actor. And Abby, first time I saw her, I thought, there's Angel. Really? She's Angel. Yeah. <gasps> she's a terrific actress, and she looks like Angel. Wow. Yeah. That's what I was wondering is I was like, I wonder how your brain as the author, when you see people playing these characters, when you see these buildings that you thought up, this paradise, the yeah. town, I mean, you made it up in your head. Did you get to go when they were filming it and stand there? Yes, we Crazy. went and I, I was blown away when we went up to paradise. I mean, Johnny Brett is the one that did the the sets and built the set, but I, Rick and I are walking up the street and looking at this and going, it's even better than what I imagined in my really? head. You know, I originally thought of a tent mining town to begin with, and then the buildings are coming up and a little rough, but it was gorgeous. And I think the set is staying there as well as the chapel, and they'll probably be using it for other movies. Wow. Uh, really well built. You'd even go into some of the stores and you could see the things they had, they had filled the, the shelves. On one store, they had a basket of real fish. So you oh had the fish sandwich. You know, flowers and all that kind of stuff because they wanted, you know, the actors have to get the feel of the real place. Sure. And it, it really had that feel. I'm a big fan of Westerns. I partly blame you because of how much I read Redeeming Love and Scarlet Thread when I was younger. And so I love Westerns. And to me, how dirty the ground is, is always a sign of whether they've really paid attention to historical accuracy. Yes. And so when yes. I'm watching Redeeming Love, I'm like, yes, all their shoes are dirty. They're doing it. This is right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I just finished. I have another book coming out in February called The Lady's Mine. And it's about the eight, an 1870s silver <gasps> mining town. And she can smell the town before she gets to it. Wow. You know, I mean, it's and it, it's I call it my COVID book because yeah. I just had fun with it. There's a lot of humor laced in it. What makes that time period so interesting to you to write in? Well, I'm a native Californian, and I just love California history. Yeah. I And I can go up into the gold country and the silver mining areas and see it firsthand. Yeah. I've just always been fascinated by it. So when that one comes out next month? That comes out in February. Oh, yeah. That makes me so happy. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, another Western <laughs> by Francine Rivers. What a dream. When you are thinking about redeeming love, I would love for you to back us up. I'm thinking about that movie, Saving Mr. Banks. Have you seen that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Talk to me about, in Saving Mr. Banks, for our friends who haven't, that are listening that haven't seen it, it's when P.L. Travers sees for the first time her book, Mary Poppins, become Mary Poppins, the movie. Will you talk to me about, back me up to when you wrote Redeeming Love. Did you ever dream it would be a movie? I really didn't. I, I actually thought that was going to be the last book that I was going to write. I, I had written in the general market and yes. then became a Christian. Couldn't write for about three years. Oh, wow. We did Bible studies and came to the Minor Prophets. And, and it's Hosea mm-hmm. that really broke through to me. But I thought, well, I had been getting letters from people who had followed my career. And I felt like, you know, Hosea really is about all of us. You know, we start out as, as children of darkness yeah. where we have no knowledge of God. And then there's that defiance, you know, nobody's going to control my life and tell me how to live. Yeah. 
And then the fear when you realize God wants everything, not just bits and pieces of you, he wants everything. And then the humility, eventually you begin to see what God wants and surrender yourself to him. And then joy in the morning. So it, it really was... I just felt like I wanted to, I wanted to explain to people that the steamy historicals I used to write, that's not real love. Yeah. Like God shows us how to really love. Wow. That's redeeming love. Yes. So it was a, a way for me to to just show my faith, kind of a statement of my faith through my writing. But it kind of opened the door too because I had so many questions. I didn't become a Christian until I was in my mid to late thirties. Oh wow. And. So I, you know, you can grow up in the church and be sitting in the pews and not be a Christian. You have head knowledge, but you don't have heart knowledge. You don't have heart change. And I just thought, okay, I've got all these questions, but I can people the story with all the different points of view about that one question and have one struggling Christian trying to find God's perspective. And that's basically what my career is. One question after another. Is that kind of how you start books? Are you answering a question? Yeah. I usually start with a question. Like, I think the next one I wrote after Redeeming Love was The Voice in the Wind. Oh, yes. We're talking about it. It's on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the question I had there was, how do I share my faith with unsaved family and friends who do not want to hear the name of Jesus and they do not want to read the Bible? Wow. How do you reach them? And what I learned in the process of writing it is really, it's how you live your life. Mm. People are always watching us. Yes. And a lot of them want us to fall, but they're watching how we live. Mm-hmm. And eventually, eventually there comes a time when they'll ask the question of why you live the way you do and why you think the way you do. And at that time, God gives you the words that he wants you to speak. Yeah. It's not you prepare your presentation, you know, and spew it out when you have a chance. It, God gives you opportunities and then he gives you the words yes. for that specific person. I mean, that whole Mark of the Lion trilogy how did you pick that character? Because the book, it's the daughter of the man who was raised from the dead by Jesus, the young man in yeah. name. Yeah. How did you pick? I mean, what a random, tiny story in the New Testament to build an entire yeah. world off of. Well, I felt I was doing research, you know, with that question in mind, you know, how do I how do I share my faith? And I was reading about the early martyrs. Oh, wow. And I thought, OK, I want somebody like me. Because Hadassah starts out afraid yeah. to talk about her faith. Sorry. No, you're fine. This phone. But, you know, you start out and you're kind of afraid to share your faith at all. And then then you have the chance. With her, I would like to be Hadassah. Yeah. She's the kind of Christian I would like to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to have the faith. And interestingly enough, the book was supposed to end with her in the arena. Because I want to have the kind of faith where you'd be willing to die. There would just yeah. would be no question of joyously going to the Lord. Yeah. The editor said, you can't kill Hadassah. <laughs> and I had done enough research about, about Rome at that time of how the doctors learned, and they could not do uh, dissection to learn about the human body. Mm-hmm. They had to do dissection, uh, you know, which is a horrifying thing to think yeah. about. But it kind of paved the way toward having... The second story about how she ends up as Rafa. Yeah. She's hard and she barely survived, but yeah. she does survive. And then she continues to serve the Lord yes. with people who don't believe in him. Yes. she. I mean, I can still see in my mind's eye the visual of her walking down the road with all the people as they move to a different city. Your ability to write that in a way that made that Bible story come to life for me. I mean, it has impacted me forever. It's incredible. So I'm very yeah, well, immediate, you know, the, I just I like to t- kind of drop in possibilities mm-hmm. because, of course, we don't have any history of what happened to the young man who was raised from the dead in Maine. Yeah. And, and I've done that in other places like Theophilus in As Sure as the Dawn. Yes. You don't know who he is until the very end. And of course, we don't know who Theophilus was. Yes. Yes. So there's always the possibility, but it's fiction. Yes. How often when you're reading the Bible, is your brain also doing this? I mean, it sounds like curiosity is what drives your creativity. Yeah, very, very much so. There are, especially the women. Yes. Uh, When I worked on Lineage of Grace, you know, just thinking of the five women that are mentioned, they're all edgy women. I mean, you think about them in today's world, it would be fascinating that those are the specific women that are mentioned yes. it's open you know i mean there there's i think one jewish girl mm-hmm. and the rest are, are not yes 
So it was always open to the world. You know, God was always trying to reach the world. Something that I think is so interesting, more in the New Testament than the Old, too, is how many women don't have names. Like the woman at the well, the woman with the issue of blood. Whenever I read those, honestly, in my mind, I think, I wonder if Francine Rivers is ever going to write a book about this woman and give her a name. Because I just feel like there are so many, there are men, too, but there are so many women who, when the gospel writers were writing the story, just told the story and didn't tell us their names. Yeah. I always think about the widow and the widow's might. Yeah. She intrigues me. And then I think about the the priest that's in there and he's talking about how, you know, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that, like that tax collector back there. Yeah. And the, the whole idea of Corbin, you know, where they would protect the money that they had, they, they weren't going to give it to their parents because they've dedicated to God, but it was a way for them to get out of supporting their family yes. and having her actually be a widow. Mm-hmm of a priest and her son is in there serving and he's the one that's, you know, boasting. Yes. Yes. And so what's your line going? Yes. I love it. I mean, I think that's what keeps me opening the Bible is that I continue to bring curiosity to it. Even if I've read the same thing I'm reading again. Yeah. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick, share about one of our incredible partners, Epic Will. Consider this a little heart-to-heart moment with your older sis, Annie, slash concerned friend, AFD, okay? It's easy to think we've got all of our responsible, future-facing plans in place, right? Like we're working hard, we're budgeting-ish, we're investing-ish, we're taking care of our health as best we can, but there's one little thing that's easy to neglect, and that's having a will in place. See, having a will set up, a guardian named for your kids, an advanced directive, health and financial powers of attorney, the building blocks of an early estate plan, these are important things to have thought through and have determined, even if they're not the most fun things to think about. The peace of mind we get from knowing it's all sorted out does sound fun, right? If, God forbid, I was in some sort of accident and couldn't communicate with the doctors, I wouldn't want my family to be flying blind, not knowing what my preferences are and left to make really tough decisions. I'm betting you feel the same way. Y'all, wills are not just about our possessions, and they're not something you wait until you're older to do. It's something to do now, so it's just taken care of and done. Check the box. You did it. You hit one of your goals for 2022. Epicwill.com has dealt with all kinds of scenarios, and they've seen everything out there. And using that expertise, they've built the most comprehensive, self-guided early estate plan for you. It gives you and your loved ones that extra layer of protection and peace of mind. In as little as five minutes and starting at just $99, you and your family will be protected with an early estate plan. Just go to epicwill.com and use the promo code FUN20 for 20% off. Again, that's E-P-I-C-W-I-L-L.com and use the code FUN20 to receive 20% off. And another one of our sponsors we love is Ritual. So here is a thing that we know. The nutrition provided by the typical American food intake has got some serious gaps, you guys. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 aren't getting enough vitamin D, and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual is essential for women, 18-plus multivitamin, was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18-plus. It's formulated with nutrients to help support brain health and bone health and blood health and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual didn't stop there, you guys. They invested in a gold standard, university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. What they found was that their Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels, which we need, 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 by 43%, and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. That is impressive, right? Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the Non-GMO Project to including traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients and to always making sure their communication is clear. My Ritual multivitamins, you guys know I love them. They are a part of my daily morning routine. I love knowing that their clean ingredients are helping me make sure my body gets what it needs that I'm not necessarily getting from what I eat. And also, they smell so minty and fresh. You know this. I love it. Right now, Ritual is offering my friends 10% off your first three months. So visit ritual.com slash that sounds fun and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to my conversation with Francine Rivers. What does your Bible reading look like? Like, what does your daily rhythms look like at this point with the Lord? Well, I'm changing it up this year, I think, because I've read through the one-year Bible year after year. Last year, we did the chronological Bible, and we have a home group that's been going for 
you know, 35 years. Oh, wow. And we challenge them to read the chronological Bible. And it, for me, I love it because when you're reading the old and the new and the psalm and a proverb in the one-year Bible, you can hear God's voice in all of yes. it and how it ties together, yes. even though it's written by different men. Mm. Inspired by God, it's God's voice that you can hear through yes. it. But this year, uh, Rick and I are just going to go right straight through the, the New Testament, and we're reading together. So we each take a chapter, and we're just going to go straight through it. And then I'm something I've never done before, but um, I heard David Jeremiah talking about it, of writing out Scripture. So I'm writing out the book of Romans, just longhand wow. writing it out, taking bits, you know, just a little bit at a time to think about and to try to get it fixed in my brain. And then I want to do the Sermon on the Mount and Ephesians. I have a whole, <laughs> a whole list of what you're going to write out. Yeah. And then we do devotionals together in the morning, but we always start in the morning. We're, Rick is up super early. Okay. Uh, with Parkinson's, he was up at two o'clock in the morning last oh, night. Oh, wow. And I was up at 4.30. Oh, wow. So we did our devotion time at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. But it, it's really important to us. I mean, it, it really has strengthened our marriage. We've been married 52 years. Oh, my God. And we've been through, you know, we've been through hard times yeah. and it's that morning time that really makes the marriage thrive. I think. How'd y'all get into that rhythm? Years ago, Rick had his own business, Rivers AV, Aviation Services, and he had to be at the office early in the morning to do all of his Eastern calls, his sales oh, calls. Oh, sure. We thought the only time we really had to be together without three kids, <laughs> you know, in the mix yep. was early in the morning. Okay. And then we thought we were struggling in our marriage, and we decided we really needed to have that time with the Lord. And that's when we started doing the Bible studies and the and the reading in the mornings. Wow. I, so it's probably been 30 years, 35 years. That's incredible. And y'all just read a chapter out loud to each other in the mornings. Yeah. Do y'all pray at the same time? We pray after we're done reading. Okay. Yeah. I'm not married yet, but this sounds very exciting. I like what you're suggesting. I'm like, I want to do that whenever I get married. <laughs> yeah, well, really, I think, you know, I, we pray throughout the day, and but we do pray in the morning together. I, I remember hearing years ago, those that pray together stay together, hmm. and it's really true. You know, when, you have, when you're coming before the Lord, you ha you're in a, um, a triangle, a love triangle, hmm. and God's got to be in the center, yeah. and that's really what builds your relationship. Yeah. So do you see... You don't have that, people struggle. Yes. I mean, it... You know, you know, when you have God as the center, you know, when you're having problems, a lot of it is spiritual battle that you have to deal with and it's going on in the mind Wow! and you have to fix your thoughts, you know, renew your mind in the word of God, because that's God speaking to you. I'm thinking about our married friends listening who are wondering, yeah, is the thing going on in our marriage that feels sideways a spiritual problem? What's the filter to send something through to figure out whether it's a communication problem or a spiritual problem or all the above? Well, you know, when you're reading the Bible, things pop out at you all the time, especially in the New Testament. You can see how people think yeah. and how they get off track and how they can get back on track because we're not any different than we were in the Garden That's of Eden. Right. I mean, you know, Adam and Eve are going like this, <laughs> you know, it's his fault, her fault. You know, God, it's your fault. You gave me this woman, you know, it's it's got to go back to you. Yeah. You know, the casting of blame. So it's really getting past that. And uh, I was sharing with somebody that, you know, to have a really thriving, healthy, loving relationship, you have to have Christ at the center. And it's hard work. Yeah. Marriage is hard work, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's really worth it because you're growing up together and your life constantly is changing. You know, my husband has Parkinson's, mm. so that's a whole new dynamic and a whole new challenge, yeah. but it also draws us closer together. Yeah. How has that changed your prayer time, him being sick? Uh, not really. We actually have more yeah. time now. <laughs> you know, we're not traveling as much as we were, yeah. although we do our devotion time on, on a ship or a plane or wherever we happen to yeah. be. But we do have more time together because we're we're not traveling. Yeah. Of course, COVID shut all right. down two right. years ago. <laughs> We've yeah. all gotten very I used to having our morning times in our own houses. <laughs> yeah. And I think COVID didn't really change my life all that much because writers shelter in place in order to get anything done. Yes. So yeah, it, it worked out just fine. I had a couple of books come out in 2021 and people were like, Annie, how are you doing this? And I was like, you understand that for 2020, all I did was write. We didn't travel anywhere. I just sat at home and wrote. So we had a lot of stuff get finished. 
Oh yeah, when I when I turned in the the lady's mind, it was a hundred and ninety four thousand. Oh my god! And- <laughs> Just for our friends listening, my books average right. about fifty thousand. So you yeah, wrote and, six and, books. And, yeah, Tyndale said you, when you cut out seventy five thousand, then we'll turn it over to the editor, and then the editor and I are laughing. I had I had as much fun cutting as really? I did writing. You know, but I mean, I had all that time. So what do you, what does the writer do with all that time? You, you write, write. you write. So what do you do anyway. with those 75,000 words that tell us more of the story that we don't get to hear? Do you just throw them away or do you save them somewhere? I just toss them. <gasps> I just toss them. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> like chapter out here, you know, chapter out there. <laughs> That's terrible. I mean, does that feel hard? Or at this point you've written over 30 books, no. so... No, it, it doesn't. Actually, I really like the editing part because you're working together with somebody who has a fresh eye. Mm-hmm. They know they know about structure and all that, and they can see what I missed. You can get so close to a project, yes. you can't you can't see what's going on. Yes. And and I have an excellent one in Kathy Olson. Yes. You know, so she she'll say, well, this we're more, we want to know more about this character, and then let's cut this. This might be cut out because I had a cholera epidemic. Oh, good. <laughs> It was literally, literally my COVID book. <laughs> I left the fire in there, you know, because we're in California and we've had one fire after right. another. So it was sort of, you know, getting all that out of my system. Yes. But it's supposed to be more lighthearted and have more humor. Well, cholera isn't. Cholera humorous, isn't really so. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when all of us read it in February, we can be like, we have the inside scoop that there used to be a cholera yeah. pandemic in this book. <laughs> and it's not in there anymore. <laughs> okay, so you ended up cutting it down to like 120 or something? 100? It's, I think it's about 120. Oh I, I never do the word count. It's just, it's a little over 400 pages. Yeah. I, so I only do it. the word count when I have to get to a certain word count. And then I'm like, okay, we did it. Now finish writing the book. <laughs> you know, I, I should have a count to begin with to know when to stop. You know? <laughs> That's right. Speaking of editing, one time I sat with my editor and we couldn't figure out the order of the chapters of the book. And she said, okay, let's reorder them by date. Let's reorder them by this. And then she said, let's reorder them by who, what, when, where, why, and how. And we realized when we did that, that I had no how. I didn't tell people how to do anything. (laughs) And I was like, editing is helpful. That keeps me from releasing a book that helps no one. Well, I, I'm what they call a pantser, too, so I don't really know where I'm going from one day to the really? next. Really? sort of to unfold, and I, I have the characters in my head, but they also have to develop. Wow. So so you don't you yeah. don't outline the whole thing before you start? I, I have to turn in a proposal. Sure. But Tyndale has learned, you know, they learned many years ago <laughs> that the book will not look the same yes. as the proposal when it's yes. turned in, and they, they've really given me a lot of freedom. Just write what God is telling you mm. to write, and then we'll see what happens at the other end. Yeah. And then to work with the editors, and they ask questions, and questions just get me rolling. Yes. That that really encourages my creativity. It's got to be good for our friends who are listening that want to write books to hear you and I say we both still, you still write proposals, I still write proposals. We do not skip that line the longer you do this career. Yeah, well, as a writer, I think you're always an apprentice. Mm. You're always learning. Every project is new, and I can't look at it as I'm going to be writing a book because if I look at it that way, I won't start. It's too big a project. So it's I can get four pages done a day. And I can build over a year Wow! and keep that center focus, that center question yeah. in my head. This is my fan moment where I get to ask you questions because I unfairly have this time with you. Atonement Child. What was the question behind yeah. Atonement Child? Well, is there total forgiveness? That story wow. was probably the most personal for me because I was Hannah. I had an abortion in my college years. Wow. I was still dealing with it, you know, years later. And when I thought I need to write a book uh, about abortion and what it does, wow. and I talked to my mother and found out that she had had a therapeutic abortion. So she's Evie in the story. Wow. And then you, the, there was always, I'd hear Christians talk, well, if it's a rape, mm. then, of, then of course abortion should be allowed mm. and so on and so forth. And I thought, I, I want to start with a rape victim. Wow. And it's so everybody in the story, and I think it's true in society too, everybody is impacted by abortion. Yes. 
in some way. Yes. You know, you know, even if you don't know the person, you can see the after effects mm -hmm. of what it does to people mm -hmm. and how it turns out. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's that one character who is a strong Christian, yes. but she's raped and she's pregnant. Yes. And it's, what do you do in that kind of a case? Right. And it's following her and all the pressures that come to bear on a rape victim who's pregnant right. to have an abortion. Right. It's a, it's such a redeeming story, though. I mean, you did yeah, such a beautiful it, job. Well, and after, after it was done, I actually met a couple people that came to me, and they had gone through it. Wow. They had had children. And I can't remember the name of the gal, but she used to speak, but she was raped when she was 18. And she had the baby and gave the baby up for adoption. And when the baby grew up, the daughter, yeah. she was on a search for her birth mother. And the, the reason she was on search for her was to make sure her mother was a Christian. Wow. And when they met, and I, they were on talk shows, yeah. when they met, the mom told her, yes, I'm a Christian. Yeah. You, you, you're, being pregnant with you is what brought me to Christ. Wow. And she had talked publicly. Yeah. I mean, I, it was an incredible story, but I thought, we, we just never know. Yes. You know, and the, the child of rape is a victim, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? How often are your novels coming from something in your own life? Uh, quite often. Really? I, just about every one of them comes from something, you know, a question in my life is something that I'm struggling with or some issue that I'm trying to work out. Yeah. Does that feel really personal? Faith, yeah. Because then your children are seeing it, your husband's seeing it, your closest yeah. friends are seeing it. So it's almost like letting all of us, strangers and up-close people, into your journal a little bit. Well, and I talked to my husband, and, and my husband knew, but I talked, and he was not involved. You know, this had nothing to do with yeah. him, something I brought into the marriage. But I had talked to my children and say, this is what I'm going to be writing about, yeah. and this is why. Yeah. And it was, that was the hardest thing to do, and also talk to my in-laws sure. and tell them. Wow. Because I didn't want them finding out through some interview. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And then I was, I was concerned about Tyndale because at the time— you know, the, Tyndale, I, I had told my editor, my senior editor, and under incompetence, don't don't talk yes. about this. But then they got called in. There were two of them, and they got called in uh, to the board, I think, with Tyndale. And they said, we want to know if she had an abortion. And they were trying to get around not saying anything. Wow. And uh, they finally said, well, yes, she, she told us incompetence. And they said, we'll go back to her and tell her we're behind her 100% will support her. Wow. And that was just tremendously freeing. The things that I feared might happen never did. God just smoothed the way and gave me a chance to, to share with people. And it opened, it opened up for me to speak at pregnancy counseling centers and to talk to people openly about it. Because it, I think it's a secret that people hold tight mm -hmm. and it just continues to fester and, and hurt. Yes. And the more people that can speak up and speak out about what it does, mm -hmm the less abortions there will be. And the way you frame it in a fiction book makes it yeah. feel more palatable maybe than just sitting yeah. and hearing a preacher say it or hearing a, hearing a testimony. There's something different when it's, I mean, it's what we've been talking about this whole time. When you turn it from scripture to story, we are able yeah. to receive it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the thing with fiction, too, is it's meant to be a bridge to the real thing. Wow. It's never meant to replace. It's always meant to whet the appetite to get back into Scripture and see what's really there, what is God actually saying. Yes. I remember he, on one interview, the, the person was talking. They didn't know my story, but they were talking about uh, how they're, they were doing a march, anti-abortion yeah. march, and they were you know carrying placards or whatever. And he's explaining all this to me. And he says, well, what do you think of all that? And I said, well, if I was a girl pregnant now, your church would be the last one I'd ever walk wow. into because that's what she'd be facing. Yeah. yeah. And he was, you know, he said, what can we do? And I said, you need to be standing outside the door of the abortion clinic when the girl comes outside and realizes she's made the worst decision of her life wow. and she'll live with it forever. Yes. You know, we need to love them, mm -hmm. you know, not persecute them. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and be a part of their lives. Be a part of their lives. Yeah. Well, so much of the information, the real facts about a human being conceived and the stages of a human being 
are not allowed to be taught anymore. Mm. And they certainly don't tell them that when they're in a, yes. an abortion. Yes. So the language they use makes them makes the person coming in feel like, well, this is okay because it's not really a life. Mm-hmm. So then later on, you know, it's like it, when it really struck me as, you know, I'd have the abortion. And then when you're pregnant with the child you want, the moment of conception that you know about it, that's a child and yeah. you love that child. Yeah. So what's the difference? Yes. There is no difference. Yes. Man, the pain yeah. of, of sitting and writing through that though. I mean, did you... Are you in counseling during all that? Like, how do you go that deep into your own story? I was not in counseling, but I was in a post-abortion class in the local pregnancy counseling center. They were around me for me that entire year because it was the toughest year of writing I've ever done. Really? And the most, and the most healing at the end. Yes. Wow. So they just walked you right through it. Yeah, well, and what I learned at the end, too, is that God, you know, God had forgiven me a long time ago. I couldn't forgive myself. Hmm. I couldn't let go of it. Yes. Did writing help with that? Yeah. 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 Very definitely. That's incredible. And hopefully the story will help others. Yes. You know. Oh, it's an absolutely beautiful novel. Your skill at writing, I can picture things from that book that I will never forget. It's almost like a memory of my own. Your ability yeah. to make it such a real place and, and such a real story. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to tell you about one of our amazing partners, Everly Well. Maybe it's eggs. Maybe it's almonds. Maybe it's the unsuspecting banana or carrot. Listen, if you struggle with common symptoms like bloating or stomach aches or migraines or indigestion and wonder whether they could be related to food, the Everly Well Food Sensitivity Test may help you find more clarity, and the results will guide a two-part elimination diet by measuring your reactivity to 96 common foods. Y'all, I've been there before with gluten and dairy and caffeine, so I can attest to how helpful this information you can find out with Everly Well really is. Everly Well at-home lab tests give you physician-reviewed results and personalized insights so you can take action on your health and wellness, all at an affordable and transparent cost. With over 30 tests, you'll be able to choose the ones that make the most sense for you. Food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, and thyroid are just a few of the many options. So here's how it works. Everly Well ships your at-home lab test straight to you with everything you need for a simple sample collection. I've done one of their tests. It truly was like very simple process. And then using the prepaid shipping label, you just mail your test back to a certified lab. In just a few days, your physician-reviewed results and actionable insights are sent to your device. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide next steps. Over 1 million people, including your girl AFD, have trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing. And for my friends here at That Sounds Fun, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash that sounds fun. That's everlywell.com slash that sounds fun for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash that sounds fun. And one more cool thing to tell you about, since we got the author of the book that this next partner is based on, be sure you're planning to go see Redeeming Love, the movie. Just like you're hearing from Francine and I, we both love the movie version of her international best-selling novel. And we agree that the casting of Abigail Cohen, Tom Lewis, Nina Dobrev, Eric Dane, also known as McSteamy, and Fomke Jansen, among others, could not be better. They're each perfectly cast. And the dirty feet, y'all, they got it right. They know what California Gold Rush era is supposed to look like. Redeeming Love is rated PG-13. That's important for you to know. And it premieres January 21st in theaters nationwide. That's a week from tomorrow. So let's all make plans. We're going. Get your friends. Get your book club. Get your special someone. Let's all go see Redeeming Love. For more information or to get your own tickets at a theater near you, visit redeeminglovemovie.com. Again, that's redeeminglovemovie.com. And now back to finish up our conversation with Francine. For our friends listening, if they have stories like that, how did you know? I mean, when you sat down and you started thinking how to answer that question, that moment where you go, oh, no, I'm going to have to write my own story. How did you get over the fear of, I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell people that. Well, because you're writing for one. Hmm. You're writing for God. And you're writing with, you know, he, he's present. I know I felt that especially in Redeeming Love. I felt like Jesus was sitting next to me because I didn't have that background. I didn't know all the, the 
the different emotions that she'd go through. So I was really just relying on reading scripture every day and then writing about Angel. Wow. And then I heard from people, <clears throat> we have a, a Redeeming Love Sanctuary Foundation has come out of the movie, which oh, wow. I'm really excited about. But one of the gals that's on the board, the new board is Nita Bells, who was involved in, in our backyard and going to the to the Super Bowls and actually helping to rescue girls, yeah. finding young women. But she was watching the movie with me and she said, that part right there, that's so typical of a, a survivor, what they go through. Wow. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have known that. That's something that God just kind of revealed to me as I was writing this story. Yes. Because it's really his story and he can see into the hearts of his children yes. what they need. Yes. The only thing I had to go by was I had three pictures and it was of the same girl and it had come from a woman's magazine. And the first picture was of a little girl, a student picture, perfect, gorgeous little blonde, uh, eight-year-old or whatever. And then another one, she'd been kidnapped, disappeared. They've confiscated a porno film. She was the same age, terrified wow. look on her face. Wow. Then another one, when she was a little older, maybe 12 years old, and she looked totally different. She had dead eyes and just a kind of a seductive look on her face. Yeah. And I had those on my bulletin board, and I thought, I'm writing for her, wherever she is. Wow. And, and what, what got her to that point? So that was sort of in my mind. And the first 50 pages, of course, were the hardest pages I've ever had to write. Yes. Because I didn't want to be inside that little girl's head. Right. You know what she was going through. Right. But you had to have that set up so that you understood why she was the way she was at 18. Yes, yes. I heard someone say the other day, I'm not going to quote this perfectly, but if you don't pay attention to the problem, you're not going to be able to see the redemption either. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, tell us about the nonprofit. What kind of trafficking rescue work are y'all going to do? Oh, well, we're starting, there's going to be a website. I think the beginning of the website's up now, but more of it is going to be by the middle of January. But it's really... The money that we've made, Rick and I have made from Redeeming Love since the beginning has always been, we felt like the book is God's, yeah. his first fruits, yeah. so it belongs to the world. Wow. So we've given the money away, except for taxes. <laughs> we found that we have to pay the taxes. Unfortunately. <laughs> I can't afford to pay the taxes anymore. The taxes are going to have to come right. out. So it's out first and then the rest goes to God's work. Yes. And I wanted to focus it on survivors. Mm. And, but I've never known how to do it. And this whole idea, we talked about it, Holly Caruso and I, but Holly Caruso is really the visionary and the one behind this. Oh, wow. She's the president of the foundation. Yeah. And the money that whatever money I make from the movie is going to go into this foundation. Wow. And then we're giving grants that we've done for this year wow. to uh, non, you know, 501 three C3s. I don't, know I don't know either. I don't know either. We vet that we have somebody that vets them, yeah. and then we're geared toward helping survivors. So we're yeah. going, coming alongside groups that are actually on the front lines working with survivors, and they have education programs and all kinds of things. So those are the ones that we're supporting. We're not starting a new work yes. because it takes so long to know, and it's so complex. We want to work with people that are there and successful at what they're doing. Yes. So that that's our our hope, but we're we're small. We're just starting out right now and hoping to have, you know, have supporters after the movie because it'll be there'll be information on the movie about it. Um, Will you tell me again what the website is? It's redeeminglovesanctuary.org. Okay, perfect. We will share that when the episode comes out so that people can go. And see it yeah. as well. Redeeming Love, the movie, is going to be in all the theaters, right? Like, it's just, we can just go see it. That was miraculous because Universal saw the movie and said, absolutely, they wanted it to be their film. Wow. So they're, it's being distributed by Universal Studios. <laughs> I mean. So it's, here, it's going to be here in my hometown. I just asked to feel, I mean, are you going to sneak in and see it a hundred times? Oh, I'm, I'm going to go in with friends yes. because I with COVID, who knows? There, There is a premiere plan for the 13th, but I think they're going to have to scale back because of the new mandates. Yeah. So we thought, well, if it if it doesn't work out, we'll just get together with friends and dress up and go to the matinee yes. here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, you've been writing for decades. When you yeah. look back on the whole thing, could you ever have dreamed your career would look like this? Is this what you pictured? No, no, didn't have a clue. Yeah. 
you know, there, there are so many people that, and the, the thing about writing is, you know, people have asked me who my favorite author is, and it's always who I happen to be reading at the yeah. moment, because there's so many good writers out yes. there. I mean, I think we live in the golden age of fiction. Really? And nonfiction, really, because we have, have access to so many wonderful books, yes. you know, that it's just, I mean, it's. I don't pay attention to numbers and all that. I, I don't pay attention to reviews because they can either puff you up or they can devastate yes. you. So it's like better to stay away. Yes. And the work's but already done. Just, you can't change it. I can't change it if yeah. they don't like the book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and too, I kind of, I'm a wife and a mother and a grandmother, you know, right. and I have, I sit at my computer and write. That's not a very exciting life necessarily. <laughs> I disagree. The stories that you have in your head make for a very exciting life. You've done incredible work. Do you have, of all the books you've written, do you have one, is it Redeeming Love? Do you have one that you say, this is the one I want to be, I, I love the most or I want to be remembered for or that is the closest to your heartbeat? I think Redeeming Love or A Voice in the Wind. Yeah. Because, you know, I would really like to be like Hadassah. Yeah. And I think... Rome, that whole period of time when I was writing that book, I thought we're so much like Rome in a different way. Yes. But that that whole way of living, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, the moral morals are not there anymore and people are suffering for yes. it. You know, I see a lot, a lot of dysfunction and misery going on yes. because they don't know God. Yeah. Do, will you continue to write in that time era? Do you see more books coming out from there? Not not ancient Rome, yeah. no. And if anybody asks me about ancient Rome right now, I couldn't tell them anything. I tend my mind tends to erase and then move on to the next file. You know, <laughs> I'm researching right. that, and I I never really know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. I'm not sure what I'm going to do from here. So. How much of a break do you get? Like now that the new one comes out in February, are you ready to write again, or are you happy to sit and rest a little bit, or what's the process when it's? I'm kind of resting right now, but I'm thinking about a, a story on revenge oh. and a gunslinger. Oh, listen. Another Western. I'm drawn to Westerns right now. I don't know why. Same. <laughs> so. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, what does revenge do not only to the person mm. that's seeking revenge, but what does it do to everybody around him? Yes. You know, and, and also law and order, because if he's a gunslinger, he's going to have to come in contact with law and yeah. order. So, see. Okay. I, but. No, it's still so right now it's just, just spinning. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. You're just like paying attention to the little details that are coming to your mind as they happen. Yeah. Jot down. I have a, I have a notebook that I carry with me all the time because you get ideas all over the place. Right. People can say something. It's like, oh, that sparks something mm -hmm. and write it down. Mm -hmm. That's my advice to people that want to write. You know, just have that notebook, have notebook. handy and jot down the ideas you get because I heard Ray Bradbury say one time in a, in a speech that he had the idea for the great American novel mm -hmm. and it was at night and he thought, well, it's such a great idea. I'll remember in the morning and the morning couldn't remember. <laughs> he said, always have a notebook beside you on your bedside table and have a flashlight and a pen yes. and get down. Yes. Don't let go. Don't. Right. Whatever comes to your brain in the middle of the night and hope, and then in the morning. Yeah. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover? I can't think of anything. Thank you so much. I mean, this is I, truly, you have inspired me not only in my writing, but in my faith. You have known me for 30 of my 40 years and you didn't even know it. <laughs> so, well, the last question we always ask, we do have a final question because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what sounds fun to you. Oh, wow. Well, this won't sound fun to a lot of people, but we have when we bought this property, there was a an orchard, not an orchard, a vineyard mm. that just let go. So for me, fun is working in that vineyard yeah. and working with uh, Enrique and Raul are training me in pruning and all that management. And it, it's it's really fun. And there's so many spiritual, you know, spiritual lessons sure. in the vineyard. Yes. Incredible. And they and they are making wine because we don't drink. Yeah. You know? So it's like, well, you know, the grapes are either going to go in the dumpster or they're going to go to somebody. So they're they're making wine and and. You know, we're in the wine country. That's where yeah. we live. So you're doing all the work but, and you'll do all the harvesting, but you won't have any of the spoils. Yeah, no, but it's it's just great fun to be out there and, and working and watching how things grow and change and, you know, the little tiny grapes. And yeah. 
Where is it right now? Where is it in the cycle? Are there any leaves yet or anything? No, right now it's in the dormant cycle and probably by the end of the month we'll be pruning. Wow. And we're doing some retraining, you know, because the the vines were let go for so long. With the first year uh, that I really worked at, it was like two or three years ago. And the first harvest was 750 pounds. Wow. Last year it was 1200 pounds. (gasps) Oh my gosh. So, and that we have a hundred vines. A hundred vines. That's not a little vineyard, Francine. <laughs> it's, well, it's little compared to the ones around Sonoma County. Oh but, my gosh! You know, and it's uh, we think it's it's this is an area for growing Pinot Noir, but we think it might be Merlot. Wow, you know, Merlot and Pinot Noir mix because they're much sweeter. The birds love yeah. them. <gasps> What an amazing thing to get to watch year after year. I mean, you're right. The spiritual significance is insane. Oh, yeah. I came out to Napa with some girlfriends in February a couple of years ago. And we're standing out in a vineyard and the woman is talking to us about pruning and how they retie certain vines. So they go, I'm just standing out there crying, Francine. I'm just crying yeah. listening to her because I'm like, that's what Jesus does to me. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're connected to the vine, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, you are, anytime you would like to come back and talk about any of your books, you're so welcome. Oh, thank you. I cannot wait for people to see Redeeming Love and to read the new one. Say the title of the new one again. It's called The Lady's Mind. The Lady's Mind. And it's got double meaning. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. (laughs) We're all going to read it in February. I'm very excited. Oh, you guys, don't you love her? Oh, don't you love her? I can't believe we got to talk to her. It is amazing. Okay, if you haven't read Redeeming Love, I think you should read it. Make sure you go see the movie. Mark of the Lion trilogy is incredible. And that new book coming out, The Lady's Mind, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Y'all, I mean, we don't even have a book club, but I think we may need a book club. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so make sure you grab that as well and go see Redeeming Love. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. I think that's it for me today, friends. So go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same. And today what sounds fun to me is opening up Amazon and ordering that book. I forgot to do it after our interview, but I am not forgetting today. It is getting done. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you back here on Monday as we observe Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday with an inspiring conversation with my friend Shayna Berkeley from Corner to Corner here in Nashville. Y'all are going to love her and the good she and Corner and Corner are doing in the world. Oh, I I cannot wait for you to hear this one. So we'll see you back here on Monday. Y'all have a great weekend.